Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Each week I invite a guest to join the podcast to share their unconventional ministry approach. Please check out the other episodes from a wide variety of guests and their innovative and ministry approaches. I'm Dennis Weens, your host. I'm the Senior Impact Catalyst at Sat7 USA. Sat7 is a Middle East and North Africa multi-platform broadcast media ministry making the gospel available to everyone in the Middle East and North Africa. Learn more at sat7usa.org. That's S-A-T, the number seven, USA.org. They say that three to four million new book titles are published every year. Maybe you've bought one of those new books and started reading it, but how many times have you been disappointed in that book you purchased because it was not what you thought? In a survey... They found that 81% of Americans feel they have a book in them. This suggests that there are millions of people in the United States who have the desire to write a book. However, it is important to note that not everyone who wants to write a book will actually do that. My guest today is one of those that desired to have a book written, and he's in the process of writing his book. So I want to welcome Gary Brumbelow to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. So welcome, Gary. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Good to be here. You know, Gary, I was reading a little bit about you. When you were 10 years old, your family moved from Texas to a small town in northern Nebraska, 40 miles from the nearest traffic light. (laughs) So you grew up a country boy. Yes, um, and always felt a little cheated that I didn't actually live on the farm or the ranch. My dad was a pastor, and we had a happy family life but we lived in town. And I always thought, wow, any chance I had to go out and be on the farm or on the ranch with friends, even if it was just to do chores, I thought that was just grand. So this this, uh, rural, uh, this effect of living in a rural farming community kind of a situation was very welcome to me, big part of my boyhood. Well, after college, you went into ministry. You've worked in ministry in four different Canadian provinces. Uh, You went on to Wheaton College, and you got a master's degree. Then you spent 15 years as the executive director of a missionary sending agency. By now, you have grandkids, and for the last 12 years, you've been a local church pastor, so you definitely have a book in you. And what's exciting is you're now writing a book, so that's what we want to talk about uh, today. So again, this is going to be interesting uh, to find out some of your challenges. You know, we said uh, three to four million new book titles published every year, but people start reading and they sometimes don't get very far into that book. They abandon the book. It's not what they thought. Uh, What's your thoughts on that? Why is that? Well, of course, my answer to that has more to do with my reading than my writing because I'm an aspiring author. The book is written and it's in the process of being published now by a traditional publisher, but Uh, That's a great question. I think the answer, obviously, it includes some subjectivity, but I have personally laid down lots of books that I started, and I'm thinking novels especially. It's helpful, I think, to divide between fiction and nonfiction reading. Uh, But I tend to lay lay down a novel for one reason. If it just doesn't seem real, I've had a lot of novels. This isn't real which I guess talks about the the ability to craft a story that's believable, that's tenable. So that's a big piece of it. Or sometimes it just isn't interesting. To some extent, it's the wrong genre sometimes. Um, But some books are just not well written. I've noticed that 
these days, a lot of the popular Christian fiction, or non-Christian too, for that matter, the writers want to depict sort of super achievers. So someone is a former Green Beret and and you know he, he just he's a perfect almost a perfect kind of a person every hero has to have flaws but but it's not somebody i can relate to i personally would rather read a book about someone i can relate to some i could see myself doing that so i guess that's some of my uh some of my thinking about why books don't get read all the way through well that's some very uh interesting perspectives there and you've already kind of answered my next question I was going to ask you what makes a great story to write about, and uh, you've answered that, it, authenticity or make it real. Yes, yes. Uh, for me, it, it's something that I can see myself doing, and I personally love books that have a lot of outdoors in them, uh, a, a lot of challenges in the great outdoors. So when I was a kid, I was reading Jack London, for example, and I just really gravitated to that kind of writing and, and adventure so I, that's the kind of book that I'm drawn to uh, with a lot of adventure in it. A story about someone who's in town and just kind of the relationship. It has to be very, very well written for me to, to read a, a story like that. But, but if it's a story that's, uh, that's got a lot of um, uh, great outdoor kinds of challenges, someone's facing um, uh, something, they're not sure how they're going to get through this, that's the kind of book that appeals to me. So as you think back, and you do a lot of reading, where did this interest or this desire to write a book, where did that start for you? Well, I've always enjoyed using words. It took five years of English and four years of high school because I, I just really was drawn to words. My whole career has been built around the use of words and language as a communicator, uh, written as well as speaking communication. And all those years, I had a latent desire to write a book, but I never really took it very seriously. But it would come up in conversation one time. And I guess it was about six years ago, my wife, who was on the mailing list for Jerry Jenkins, forwarded an email to me. He was offering a course for people who would like to figure out how to write a novel. And she encouraged me to sign up for this course. She's, I distinctly remember her saying, if you don't do it now, when will you ever do it? Right. Well, it was going to cost $1,000, which we were going to have to scratch to find $1,000. And even more than that, he required six hours of week to find six hours in my week was going to be a big challenge, too. But that's that's where the whole thing actually began about six years ago in terms of actually writing a novel. You know, they say that about one in five people that start to write a book actually finish it. So congratulations, you're the one out of the five, and Thank you'll you. soon have it published. What are some of the challenges you faced uh, getting started writing this novel of yours? I don't think I could have started without some initial direction. And um, so my mentor or coach, not personal, but in this class, Jerry Jenkins, was a big help to just to kind of get started on what does the process look like? How do you build a character and, and a plot and all of that? But really, it's like any significant achievement, Dennis, in that it's just it comes down to a lot of hard work. Someone has said uh, writing a book is one part inspiration and nine parts perspiration. So you have to have the fire in your belly. You you have to decide, I want to make this happen. And 
and and then it touches also on the question of the publishing of a book. And in these days, of course, there's many, many books that are self-published, and that's always a possibility. And I had been thinking about that and sort of holding it as a uh, as an option. But I wanted to write a book that was deemed by the industry as worthy of publication. So I just kept, you get lots of rejections. Every new author gets lots of rejections, but you have to have the fire in your belly to stay at it. And and I've thought about William Carey too, of course, a, a, a very well-known missionary, father of the modern missionary movement, uh, who served in India for so many years and did so many things, translated the Bible into 14 languages, started schools, started newspapers, uh, did so many things. Someone asked him what was the secret of his success, and he said, I'm a plotter. I'm a mm-hmm. plotter. I can continue indefinitely in any worthwhile pursuit. To this, I owe everything. And I've never thought of myself as a plotter, but but with reference to, and this is P-L-O-D-D-E-R, just so your listeners are hearing that clearly, because you also have to be a plotter, of course, to write a story. But um, I've never really been a plotter. But when it came to writing this book, I think that's been a big piece of it, putting your nose to the grindstone and just keeping at it in the belief that well, someday somebody's going to want to publish this book. With all these great perspectives that you had, I'm, I have, I'm sure your our podcast listeners are curious about your novel that you're writing, that you've wrote and uh, publishing. Tell us a little bit about this story. Where does the story start? Uh, okay. You know, help sure. us through our curiosity phase here about okay. what you're writing about. Well, it goes back to that early thing I said uh, a few minutes ago about growing up the way I did as a preacher's kid in a town. Two, my dad pastored a church in North Texas and in North Nebraska, two churches um, surrounded by farms and ranches where I always wanted to be. And so as I started thinking about a story to write, it, it sort of came down like this. So what if a kid grows up like that and decides, I want to ranch, and I was drawn to wilderness so a lot of the story, of course, comes from my own wiring and my own passions and interests. And I always was interested in the North from reading books by Jack London, for example, uh, Westerns. Um, uh, so what if, a, let's say a, a, a guy goes to, even goes to university. I spent some time at Texas A&M University in the middle of all my college experience. I was there for about a year and a half. And that's a big agricultural school. So let's let's say a guy goes there. He he gets an ag degree, uh, a degree in ag business, and he heads north uh, to to run a ranch uh, up in the wilderness of Canada, up in Western Canada, the high mountain grasslands of British Columbia, Canada. And uh, he has trouble at the border because he's kind of an impetuous person, didn't do all his homework. They almost turn him around, but he gets through the border. He's traveling along. His truck breaks down, no fault of his own. But uh, there he is stuck in the wilderness. He finds himself hitchhiking in the middle of nowhere in the night. But but he, he powers through and he finds a job on a remote mountain ranch. He falls in love with a beautiful school teacher in a nearby village. He's on top of his world, and then he finds out that everything's coming down on him because he's been framed for murder by something that happened on the way up there back in Idaho that he didn't know that he was being framed. A guy um, 
a guy murders his wife and frames the protagonist. And so he has to leave all of that behind and go back and try to find out what's going on with this murder charge. And so uh, that's that's the premise, and especially the climax where he gets to he comes to realize that he's being lied to by the county attorney. He's being set up by an unjust system, and he has to decide: Am I going to surrender to this? Because he has always grown up believing that you know he should obey the law. He's grown up in a strong Christian home, and does he submit to the law as he always has, or does he take the way of David from Saul and run and provide some evidence for his own innocence? And he has to decide that in a flash. So that's the premise of the story, someplace north, someplace wild. He's always wanted to have this place up north, and he hopes he can get it. But all of that uh, comes crashing down as he figures, as he has to try to figure out if he can get exonerated from these ridiculous charges of murder. Well, you definitely have my curiosity now uh, about this story. And you're a pastor. You've been a pastor. You ran a mission organization. How does your Christian worldview, biblical values, you interweave that in the story of murder and interest and love? And uh, Uh it'd be interesting how you weave that Christian worldview into this novel. Great question. I I think of this novel, Dennis, as a as a book length commentary on Mark chapter four. For let's see, I forget the verse, but it's a tiny little parable where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who sows seed in his field, and then he sleeps, and while he is sleeping, the seed is growing, and then eventually the harvest time comes, and he puts his sickle to the harvest and brings in the harvest. And I've read that parable many times, and I feel like Jesus is saying, so the, it's about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this. There's the part that the man does. He sows the seed and harvests the seed. But there's the part only God does. He makes the seed grow. The man can't do God's part. And God won't do the man's part. Man has to do his part. Only God can do God's part. But as that happens, the kingdom grows. The kingdom of God is like this. So my take on that is, the kingdom grows as God and man work together. And in this story, Cody, the, the protagonist, faces lots of challenges. He, makes, he has to make huge decisions. He's praying constantly, but he can't just sit down and say, okay God, okay, God, fix this for me, would you? He has lots of initiative and ideas and purpose. He's not the most careful thinker. He can be impetuous, but it's a story of what how life works when someone is determined to do his part and trust God for what only God can do. So that's how I would summarize that. That's how I would answer that about the Christian world, biblical worldview about it. I appreciate that perspective. Where can people get a copy of this book? Well, if you, it's not out, it will be published sometime next year. But if you go to GaryBrumlow.com and subscribe, you will be kept informed of the progress of the book. It's right now at the editor, uh, the publisher, um, Elk Lake Publishing, who it's a group that's a small publisher that likes to work with Christian writers and make Jesus famous. So there's a process of editing and all of the preparation for it, but it will, um, we anticipate it will be out no later than next summer and maybe sooner than that. And that's the best way to 
keep up with the progress. And you're also doing a blog as well. I do a blog. I started the blog several years ago, and now I've kind of repurposed it to support the work of this book. And and basically now, if a person subscribes, I write a newsletter every six to eight weeks, so I don't flood people's emails, but I do want people I want people to be kept informed. And then the newsletter shows up as a blog at GaryBrumelow.com. So that's Gary Brumbelow, G-A-R-Y-B-R-U-M-B-E-L-O-W.com. Yes. And I encourage you to get on that email list and read some of the blog stories as we uh, get closer to the release date of this new book that's intriguing. And you've got uh, my curiosity. So, Gary, thank you. One last question as we wrap things up. Uh, for 15 years, you were the executive director of a mission-sending agency. So over 15 years, what are some uh, thoughts on things that you learned in leadership at that level? Well, I would say, Dennis, that one of the thing uh, one of the things I learned is that leadership entails a lot of death uh, because leadership is serving others. Uh, it's easy to go into leadership sort of naively thinking, "Okay, this is my chance to shine." But we've all heard leadership is uh, to be a, we are to, we're called to be servant leaders. In fact, I find it kind of intriguing. I don't see that language in the Bible. What I see in the Bible is just servants, not servant leaders. Jesus calls us to serve. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And I read that, and I've heard people interpret it like, well, okay, that means if you're going to be a leader, you have to serve others. That's true. And if you want to be the CEO, you have to be the one who serves everybody. But he doesn't say anything about being the CEO. He says being first. And we make an assumption that means the top of an organization. But I don't know that he's saying that at all. In fact, sometimes I read that and wonder, is Jesus offering a strategy for how to be a leader? Or is he offering a cure for pride? Because he knows that the pride that feeds an ambition to be the leader will be cured if you realize, oh, I need to serve people. It's not perfectly clear to me which of that that it is, but of course for himself, as he goes on in that very same context to say the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, and that's what he did. He constantly served. He served. He constantly gave out energy and life until there wasn't anything more to give. So there's a lot of death in leadership. And I would say a, a, a huge piece of learning to be a leader is learning how to give yourself up. Um, I was just reading recently and reading through the Bible, the point where Absalom is killed and David can't indulge the normal grief that any father would have, even when a rebellious son is killed because of his leadership uh, responsibilities. He's told, if you just keep grieving for your son, everyone's going to leave you. You've got to get out here and show your face to us. I've often thought of that as a father and a leader, that you, a leader doesn't have the privilege to do a lot of things that he would do if he weren't in a leadership position. So I, I reinvented myself several times during that 15 years yeah. trying to be responsive to the needs of the organization learned a lot, grew a lot. And I've always felt like everything that's happened to me has been in preparation for what I'm doing now. And so it's been interesting after that ministry um, pilgrimage 
to pastor a little church of about 40 people and see how I'm a completely different person, a completely different pastor as a result of leading that organization than I would be otherwise, and I'm very thankful for it. Thank you for all your kingdom work. Uh, appreciate it. And coming on the podcast to share about your new novel, Someplace North, Someplace Wild. And you can uh, stay up to date by uh, joining the email uh, on GaryBrumbelow.com. So just check out GaryBrumbelow.com and be sure you're on that email that comes out every six weeks. That's a blog as well as talking more about this uh, interesting book uh, novel that you're writing. So Gary, thank you for joining the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you, Dennis. My privilege. This is the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends and leave a comment. Sat7 is a Middle East and North Africa broadcast media ministry making God's love visible and the gospel available to everyone in the Middle East and North Africa. Sat7 USA has resources in helping you honor God while protecting your family. You can avoid another regret, which is the failure of not creating an estate plan. Through a partnership with Financial Planning Ministry, Sat7 USA provides Christian experts to assist you in preparing your will or trust, all at no financial cost to you. Visit www.sat7usa.org and click on the tab Planned Giving for more information. Sat7 simplifies the process and makes it easy for you so that your family and friends don't have to bear the burden and regret of your failure to create an estate plan. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast.